Now for our speaker. Um, so I, I, I think I met Erica Henry uh, last, um, well, last spring, early spring. We had our annual meeting for the Atlantic Conference. As most of you know, I think we are Brethren in Christ. That's our overall denomination. Underneath the Brethren in Christ, we have different conferences. We're part of the Atlantic Conference. That's a series of churches that are closest to us. And we have these once a year annual meetings. Um, there's three things that jumped out to me as I met and learned more about Erica's story. The first one was that her and her husband, Blake, were moving across the country to come to Pennsylvania and to move to Allentown. So as I'm sitting there listening to their story as they shared on the video, I was like, whoa. That's interesting. Um, but then the other two things were even more interesting than that. The second one is as they talked and shared their story, I recognized, oh, wow, Erica is the church planter. And that gave me a great joy because not only is this family that they found or they've joined the Brethren in Christ, but at our church, we believe that women can serve in every role. But one of the things I've seen as the Brethren in Christ is we do a really good job of saying that, but we just don't have that many female leaders who are the lead persons in the church and the work. So when I found out that she was the leader, I was like, Blake, God bless you for the support, but this is awesome. We got one, right? But the third thing that struck with me about Erica was that they were planting in the city of Allentown that they were called to urban ministry. They were called to an area, not just where they saw a need for God, but they were saying, we want to take back this city for God. So I love that, you know, yes, she's coming to the Brethren in Christ. She's a female church planter. She's doing urban ministry. But in my brief interaction with her, I think what I've appreciated most is her love for God and her love for people. She shared in our 9 a.m. service, and we were blessed, and I trust you will be blessed. Um, Erica has been trained at Greenville University. Um, she has a master's in biblical languages, which she promised she's not going to use to embarrass me this morning. Um, but I'm very, very grateful that she's here. So I don't know if you want to come up, and I'll pray for you. And just give her a welcome, welcome please. Let's pray together. Our Father God, I thank you so much for Erica. I thank you for her story. I thank you for her voice. I thank you for her life and ministry. I thank you for how you've grown her, how you've cultivated her spirit within, how you've connected her to you. I pray now that you bless her words. Thank you for the story and the word you put on her heart. I pray now that you help us to be attentive, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So God bless her as she blesses us, and we thank you that you've called all of us to be a blessing for your work in your kingdom. In your holy and precious name, amen. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm sorry, is my, are we good? All right. Girl hair and these, they're not, they don't work that well. Um, man, I just want to say thank you for having me here. I want you to know my heart is always beating like 100 miles an hour when I have the opportunity to share the word of God. Um, it's such an honor. It's such an honor to worship with you. It's such an honor to be able to be up here and to, to share with all of you in this way. So thank you for inviting me, Pastor Hank. And uh, when, when Pastor Hank invited me to come, he asked if I would you know, share a little bit of my story, share a little bit about the church plant um, and the people that we're hoping to reach. And so I'm going to do my best to do that today. Uh, I'm the church planter, lead pastor. I call it uh, my, my title, the neighborhood pastor, uh, because that's, that's what I'm uh, called to be in Allentown at uh, the church plant, which we're calling the Holy District. And when I say that phrase, I usually get some interesting responses. It's kind of a weird phrase, but I didn't make it up. It comes from a passage in Ezekiel 45. Right. 
Now Ezekiel's a prophet, and while um, Israel was in exile, he received a vision from the Lord of what everything would be like when it was the way that it was supposed to be, when everything was restored. And he's being taken and guided through uh, Israel, through the new creation, and eventually he's taken to this place, and his tour guide tells him, see this, this is the holy district. And what, what Ezekiel was looking at was flesh and blood, earthy, it was a real place. In the center was the temple, and around the temple was where the priests lived. And then around that was where everybody, you know, worked and shopped and did their thing. And then around that was where the whole of Israel lived. And what Ezekiel was seeing was that not only was the temple holy, but the whole entire city and everything in it, every square inch of ground, every person, every place, everything within that area was holy, set apart unto God. And as I um, wrestled with this scripture, it gave me a vision. It gave me a vision of what ministry might look like in a city like Allentown. That instead of imagining that our job as Christians and as disciple makers is to get people and to convince them to come to our holy, holy buildings so they can encounter our holy God, perhaps we can see it differently. You see, the temple is the place where God's spirit dwells, right? That's where God makes his abode. And what we learn in the New Testament is that temple is not a place. It's us. It's a people. It's a people, right? So what happens is this, when the temple is in the center of a city, everything around it becomes holy by proximity. Because where the spirit of God goes, his holiness is, and where his holiness is, it spreads. And I began to imagine what would it look like to be a, a group of people who saw ourselves as the embodiment and the carriers of the holiness of God. And, then, and I began to envision that Allentown was already a holy district. Amen. And I'll, I'll share with you a little bit more about that later. Um, but I just, I wanted to share that with you so that you would know holiness is kind of a big deal to me. This concept of being holy and the concept of holiness has shaped me. It shaped my life. It shaped the way that I think about ministry. It shaped the way that I think about my call as a pastor and a leader. And so it's also going to shape our message today. We're going to talk about holiness. And so the way that it's going to go is this. We're going to talk about my guy, Isaiah. All right, Isaiah was a prophet. We're going to read um, something that happened to him. It's going to shape our time together. Then, then after that, I'm going to share a little bit of my story. I'll share with you more in detail about the Holy District. And then we will end by talking about you. Because, I mean, who doesn't like talking about themselves? Amen. Right? Amen. <laughs> my honest friend over there. So that's how we're going to do it today. Um, if you would like, you can turn with me to your Bible, to Isaiah, 5, uh, Isaiah 6. And as you're turning there, just to give you a little sense of who Isaiah is, if you're not sure, Isaiah is a major prophet. He was called to prophesy to kings about 700 years before Jesus uh, was born. And he's actually, I like to think of him as the Christmas prophet, because most of our Christmas songs and hymns, they actually take words from Isaiah's prophecy. So if you've ever called Jesus Emmanuel, you have Isaiah to thank for that. And there's, I actually think that Isaiah was Jesus's favorite prophet. Um, he, he quotes Isaiah all the time. And I'm, it's probably like, you know, if you're a parent and you have kids, you don't have a favorite kid, but you kind of you do. 
No? You know what I'm saying. You love them all equally, but I'm sure Jesus loved all the prophets equally, but he talked about Isaiah all the time. And so today we're going to, uh, we're going to experience Isaiah's call. This is the moment that everything changed for him. This is the moment that sent his life on a brand new trajectory. We're in Isaiah 6 verse 1. We're just going to read 1 through 5 right now to start out. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called in the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll get going. Jesus, this is all about you. Everything that we're doing, you're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're alive. This is all about you. This is all for you. This is all pointing to you. This is all because of you. And Lord, I just pray that you would make yourself known to us today through your spirit and through your scripture and through your word. Lord, you know every single one of us in this room intimately. You know what we need. You know where we lack. And you are the one who lacks lack. You have all that we need, and you have met us today in this place, and we thank you for that, and we're listening to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, Isaiah encounters the holiness of God firsthand. And his reaction is, you know, I think quite understandable. He's amazed, and he's terrified, right? And so when we we think about this idea of holiness and we talk about it, this is a church word we use all the time, right? And if you were to ask your friends who don't attend church what holy means, what's holiness? Do you think they would actually be able to define it? Mine can't. It is kind of a churchy word. It's, It's something that we say. We all generally know what we mean, but I think we kind of mean this this feeling of fear and awe that we've experienced whenever we have encountered the person of God. It's like, have you ever stood on the shore of the ocean and you look out and you see how vast it is and how deep it is and you look for the end and you look for the edge and you can't find it? How do you feel when you look at the ocean? Awe, I hope. You feel small you are reminded, man, if I I could wade out in those waters and get taken away and no one would ever see me again. It's dangerous. It's deep. It is not something that we can control. It is something that is totally outside of us, totally ancient, totally beyond what we can grasp. People have been exploring the ocean forever and we still haven't, there's creatures swimming around in there we have never seen and probably don't want to see. I think they would be very scary. Or, or maybe you're not a water person. My husband cannot swim, so we like to look at water, but we don't go in it that much. Um, maybe you've stood at the base of a mountain, and you've looked up, and you have 
just thought of the years and years and years it took for God to shape it. And, and you see how massive and expansive it is. And you think about what, what would it take to traverse it? What would it take to, to experience it? I think that's kind of what Isaiah was feeling, except for on steroids. Here he is in this vision, experiencing the holiness of God, and God is high and lifted up, and the hem of his robe fills the temple. You guys know what a hem is? It's like this little thing right here, right there, that filled the temple. How massive must God's presence have been? The earth is quaking. He is experiencing God face to face, and he feels afraid. He feels awe. He has a renewed sense of his smallness and his failure, and he has a sense of unworthiness. I do not deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I can relate to Isaiah. I don't know about you guys, but I fell in love with Jesus at the age of nine years old. And I did. I fell in love with him. I met Jesus, and I wanted to be with him. I wanted to talk to him. I believed I could be like him. I wanted to do what he did. I wanted to know what he knew. I wanted to follow him where he went. And that's how I felt about Jesus. And as I continued to learn about Jesus in my church, with good intentions, I, I learned about something else. I learned about God's holiness, and I learned about my sinfulness. Now, when I learned about God's holiness, I learned about it in a way that made me feel that I could no longer be with God. See, here's kind of how it went. God is holy, he's other, he's beyond you, he's perfect, and God is so holy that he can't be in the presence of sin. Now you, Erica, you are sinful from the beginning, and there's nothing you can do to change that. You need the grace of God to change you. But in my 9, 10, 11, 12, 22-year-old mind, if God is holy and can't be around sin, and I'm sinful, then how do I get to be around God in order to be not sinful? It felt like a trap. It was the ultimate catch-22. What do I do? And so here I am charged with this understanding, be holy as God is holy. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And yet I'm constantly aware of how I'm falling short. And I'm constantly aware of how I'm not good enough and how I don't deserve to be with God and how I'm unworthy and how nothing I could do can change that. But I have to try to change that if I'm going to be able to be with God. I, I mean, I'm working myself up into frenzy. This is what it felt like to be me. And so what it looked like on the outside was leading Bible studies, going to church every time the doors were open. It looked like reading my Bible all the time out of duty and obligation. It looked like not spending time with people who seemed like sinners to me. And that one was really important because what if I hung out with those people, you know those people, and their, their sin rubbed off on me? And I'm working on this holiness thing because I'm trying to be able to be with God. So on the outside, I looked like I was a really good Christian girl. I was doing all the right things. I was saying all the right things. I was getting to know my Bible. I was memorizing verses. I was first in the sword drills. Whatever it was, that's what I was doing. But on the inside, do you know what was happening? 
I was fearful. I was judgmental. I was hypocritical. And I was distanced not only from God in the way that I felt about God, but from everyone around me because they were a threat to my holiness. They were a threat to my holiness. Now, I understand, as an adult, I can reflect back and understand where, why I was taught what I was taught. There is wisdom. There is wisdom in the way that we engage. Jesus said to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, okay? So there's wisdom in understanding how to engage in a world that doesn't know Jesus. But I hadn't been taught wisdom. I had been taught rules that said, if you are like this, then I will not be with you because you are sinful and I'm trying to be holy. And I think this is probably the understanding that our friends who don't go to church have of holy. They don't have a, this concept of this deep, vast, ancient, otherness, presence of God that we can encounter in the world and in Christ and in prayer. They have a sense of judgmental hypocrisy, the people who won't associate with me because they think they're better than me, holier than thou, holy. And how, why do I know this? I know this firsthand because all of this came to a head in a story that I will tell you to my embarrassment. I am doing my holiness catch-22 deal. And that meant that I only associated with certain people that I you know, went to school with, hung out with, or, or whatever. And they were the people who I had kind of sussed out, wouldn't rub off too much on me. And the people who go to church, or at least the people who act like it, or whatever, uh, whatever that was. And we went to a conference, a two-day conference called Dare to Share. And at this conference, the speaker challenged all of us, like thousands of youth in that room. He challenged us, in the next 72 hours, invite two people to church and share Jesus with them. So now I had been challenged by a holy man to do this, which meant it was okay for me to go talk to the sinners, right? Now, now I can hang out with the sinners because I just got challenged by a holy man. And I, of course, picked the, the two sinneriest sinners that I could think of. All right, now it's, it's funny because it's so absurd. It's so absurd. But that's what I did because I thought that would probably get me the most holy points if I talked to these people. Now, these were two girls that I never hung out with. I would have never have had lunch with. I would have never invited to my house for a sleepover. I would have never have done any of that. But this random guy on a stage told me to talk to them, so, so now I'm going to do it. It's so silly. So the first person I talked to, uh, I invited her to church. I told her about Jesus, and she laughed in my face. And she probably should have. I mean, let's be honest. What kind of a witness of Jesus was I at this point in time? She laughed in my face. Now, the second person I talked to, I was just ready for the shutdown. And honestly, you know, they're persecuting me like they persecuted Jesus. So I, I didn't feel that bad about it. So I talked to the second person and I shared about Jesus. And I said, would you like to come to church with me on Wednesday? And she said, Erica, I've been wanting to go to your church for the last six months. But I knew you went there. And I knew that you wouldn't want me there. So I've never gone. And um, she was right. And it was that moment that I knew this was all wrong. I didn't know what right was. 
I didn't know the right way to think about holiness. I didn't know the right way to be holy the way that God is holy, but I knew it couldn't be this. Because the Jesus that I fell in love with didn't make people feel the way that I had made her feel. The Jesus that I met brought me in. The Jesus that I met made me whole. The Jesus that I met loved me the way I was and didn't push me away. And yet, here I was, living as a representation of Jesus, doing all of the opposite things. Now, I'm happy to tell you that she did come to church. She gave her life to Christ, and we've been best friends ever since. To this day, I just hung out with her a couple weeks ago. But it took this, this moment of brokenness for me to realize I have gotten this all wrong. I've gotten this all wrong. There's got to be a way to be holy that doesn't do that. And it set me on a journey of finding out how do I do that? Because I'm not leaving holiness behind. My understanding of holiness is what needed to be transformed. And so here's what I learned. It took me years and years to learn what Isaiah experienced in a moment in his call. So let's look back at Isaiah. We're in chapter 6, remember. And I'm going to read the, starting from verse 1. And let's see the rest of the story. Isaiah has been confronted with the holiness of God. He is shaken in his sandals. And he feels a deep sense of self-loathing and un- unworthiness. Like, I should not be here. I'm a sinful person. I do not have a right to be here. That's where my story ended for a long time. But it's not where Isaiah's story ended. So here's, let's, let's start from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Let's stop here. I just want us to, to be in this space, because how many of you have read this passage before or heard it or heard a song that's, okay, so w- sometimes when we're familiar with something, we just kind of like blah, 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 you know, and then you move on to the next thing. I want to make sure we're understanding how Isaiah felt right, right in this moment. So put yourself in Isaiah's sandals. He is in the throne room, in the temple, having this vision of God. God is so huge, the hem of his robe fills up the entire room. And as these crazy winged creatures are calling out to each other about the holiness, the, the earth shakes beneath him, and the whole room fills with smoke. And he looks up, and what does he see? But one of those crazy winged things coming toward him with the tongs holding a, a live coal, which means it's really hot. And I'm thinking if you or I were in Isaiah's shoes, I, we would all be saying, okay, this is, this is where I die. This is how it ends for me. Hopefully I'll go to heaven. We'll see. This is a terrifying moment. The seraph is coming toward Isaiah with a live coal after Isaiah has just admitted, I'm not allowed to be here. I'm not worthy to be here. But here is where the plot twist comes. Verse 7. 
The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. You see, the fire from the altar that Isaiah thought would kill him doesn't kill him. It purifies him. Isaiah comes into contact with the holiness of God, and instead of dying because of his sinfulness, he is purified. Here's how the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges says it. The ceremony of purification is in many respects unique and seems to involve several ideas. Number one, it shows that contact with the fire of the divine holiness is not necessarily destructive, even to man. It is possible to dwell with devouring fire. Number two, it signifies the removal from the prophet of all in him which is incompatible with the holiness of God. Fire is both a symbol of holiness and an agent of purification. Just one touch from God's holiness and Isaiah's guilt is completely blotted out. Now, I don't know about you, but this understanding of interacting with God's holiness starts to make a little bit more sense than the one I had, right? Where God's holy, I'm sinful, God can't be around me, therefore I have to become holy, but God, I can't become holy because God can't be around me, right? What this shows us is that God's holiness, when it comes into contact with sin, God's holiness purifies sin. God's holiness heals us. It doesn't kill us, it heals us. And you think about when Jesus, the full representation of God, the one who shows us and reveals to us God's true character, what happens when Jesus walks around in this earth with all of us sinful yahoos? Everywhere he goes, sin is vanquished, people are set free, those with sicknesses are healed. This, the holiness of God embodied in the person of Jesus, he eats with sinners, he hangs out with prostitutes, he invites tax collectors to be a part of his disciples. This is what the holiness of God does when it puts on flesh. And instead of being contaminated by this, the true, real sin and darkness that really does exist in our world, the holiness of God heals sin. The holiness of God heals our disease. Everything it touches, the holiness of God purifies. I don't know about you, but I think that's good news. That's good news to me. It wasn't before. The first understanding of holy was not good news to me. This understanding of holy is good news to me, because what it means is when I am caught up in my sin, and my first thought is to run away from God, because I'm afraid of him, because I'm afraid of his holiness, I understand that's not actually the right next step. My right next step is to run to God, to encounter his holiness, because his holiness is gonna clean me up. It's gonna set me free. It is the thing that I need, not the thing that I need fear. That's good news. And learning this understanding of holiness has changed my life. It's actually... I think one of the big things that has helped me to understand and respond to God's call for me to plant in Allentown. So, because here's the thing. Uh, go back to like junior high, high school, Erica. Who's she going to hang out with? 
Who's she going to share the gospel with? Who is she good news to? Actually, only the people that are already like her, that she feels like she can hang out with, right? That's, that was my mission field. That was who I was going to reach. And they were the people that I had already deemed like were not, didn't need to be reached, right? And so I had this backwards understanding of what it meant to, to be holy. And then God shifted that, and I started to realize there is no such thing as them. There's no such thing as those people. The, the, the sin that people are caught up in is not dangerous to me if I have the holiness of God in me. Now, it's dangerous to me if I have the holiness of me in me, right? I was already, the, the holiness that I thought I was able to, to make happen was filled with judgment and comparison and was not from God. It pushed people away from God rather than brought them to God. But the holiness of God does the exact opposite. And so here's how it's kind of, here, here's how it's worked out for me. God used that, these experiences. He used seminary. Um, my husband and I church planted with some friends and family in Illinois where we grew up. And he used that experience to keep on making my imagination more and more spacious. Who can I be around? Who does God love? Who is God calling? Who needs healing? Where, is God's ho- where does God's holiness go? He kept broadening and broadening my sphere of influence and shaping my understanding of holiness until he called us to Allentown. And here's the thing about going to Allentown. Allentown is, here's what happens. When we tell people we moved to Allentown, they're like, oh, like the song Billy Joel sang? I'm like, yeah, I guess. I didn't know that song existed until we decided to move to Allentown. Um, and then some people say, why would you move to Allentown? Furthermore, now that we're in Allentown and we tell people we just moved here six months ago, et cetera, et cetera, they always ask us, why would you move here? And what I get to say to them is I get to say because God compelled us to come and be a part of this community because, because I believe that Jesus is at work and has been at work in this place. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what Jesus has been up to all along. It's why we have one of our key affirmations for the Holy District. is uh, We affirm the all times, all places healing holiness of God. That means that we believe there's not a place that we go where God's healing holiness isn't breaking in. There's not a person that we meet that is not sacred to God. There's not a a building that we occupy that is off limits for what God's holiness can come and do and heal and restore and make new and set free. God's healing holiness is everywhere at all times doing the work that God does, which is bringing all into reconciliation with him through Jesus. And so that's what we get to do. And it's, it's why we're, we're planning to do ministry in a kind of non-traditional way. Now, I love getting to worship with you guys in these kinds of spaces, but the people that Jesus, I feel, is sending me to are the people that really are afraid that if they walk in a building that has the word church on it, they're going to get struck by lightning, right? Like th- those people maybe who have had an experience of the church like mine where they were told you have to be good enough for God to love you, but you're never going to be good enough. And so finally they said, fine, I'm just going to go do my own thing because this isn't good news to me. 
And so we are imagining a version of ministry for Allentown that looks different. Because we know that God's healing holiness is everywhere. We're looking to have gatherings in places like cafes and coffee shops. Where, where people are hanging out to have conversations. Where, where they're going for brunch instead of coming to church to talk about things that matter to them. And to have these gatherings be centered around dialogue rather than teaching. So that people across a spectrum of belief and non-belief will be welcome there. That people, whether you're Buddhist or Muslim or atheist or Christian or, or whatever, that you would be able to come and be a part of a community that's doing the hard work of talking about the things that really matter. And then for those who are spiritually curious, I'll produce a, an unapologetically Jesus-centered podcast in response to the dialogue that we had that week so that those people can then listen to the teaching of Jesus on their way to work because that's holy or when they're giving their baby a bath because that's holy or when they're taking a shower or walking the dog or doing the dishes or whatever it may be that they can you know, have the word of God with them in the everyday aspects of their life. And then as those people encounter Jesus, Jesus will do what he does, which is save them and heal them and draw them in and change their world with his beauty and his love. I'm not going to do that. Jesus will do that. Then I'm, I'm praying that, God, that those people will want to learn to follow him. So they would be invited into relational discipleship in small groups to learn how to walk with Jesus and to learn the way that God has uniquely shaped them to be in the world and then to set them loose and back into their own lives with knowing that they're armed with the healing holiness of God. That's the vision for the Holy District, that everyone who is a part of the Holy District would say, Allentown is the Holy District. I've already decided that, but it's going to take some time for the word to get out, you know? Um, but we're moving in that direction. And so that is how this concept of the all times, all places, healing holiness of God has shaped the vision for the Holy District, that we would be able to walk with people deeper and deeper into the family of God. And we'd be able to disciple them deeper and deeper into the kingdom of God and that they would learn that they were made to be a part of the kingdom of God. So what about you? I promise we'd talk about you. Enough about me. How is Jesus inviting you to experience the all times, all places, healing holiness of God? You may have come to church this morning fearing that your sin had made you or has made you or is making you incompatible with God. Maybe you've been afraid of that. Maybe it's been days or weeks or months since you've really prayed. Because you did it again, you know? That thing that you said you wouldn't do, you did it again. And how, you know, how am I going to go to God with all this shame and, that, and that, why can't I get this together? Maybe that's you. And maybe you came here feeling that way. I am here to tell you today that God's holiness has come to make your sin incompatible with you. To make your sin incompatible with you. Your sin is not more powerful than the holy love of God. No way. Your sin is not more powerful than the holy love of God. And you are not incompatible with God. You were made for God. Just because you exist means that you were made to be in relationship with God. You are 100% compatible with God. You are made in the image of God. That's what that means. 
You were made to be like him. The thing that is incompatible with God is not you. No, it's, your, it's the sin. And that is what God has come to take care of, to put to death. Your sin will be made incompatible with you by the holiness of God. And by the way, that is the way that you can know God's holiness is at work in your life. There are things that you used to be comfortable with in your own life that you're not so comfortable with anymore. Thank you, Jesus. That's your holiness purifying me. Now notice, that's not about them. That's about me and my relationship with Jesus. Now, you may, you may have a different story. You may have come to church this morning fearing that God's holiness can't really handle the darkness in your world. Now, you wouldn't say that. God can do anything, right? Nothing is impossible with God. But deep down in your thoughts, in your behaviors, in the choices that you're making, you have this sense. You have, it's fear, right? What, is, what does fear do? Fear says you have to hide. Fear says isolate. Fear says close your eyes, put your head in the sand. Fear says close your ears, don't go near them, don't listen to that story. It's not safe, it's dangerous, you're gonna be contaminated, right? And, and maybe there's some version of that you've been living with. Like there, you have a those people, you have a them. And the fear is that if you would go to them, that they would disrupt you. They would take something from you. They would contaminate you. I'm here to tell you that God's holiness is where sin goes to die. God's holiness is where sickness goes to heal. The holiness of God is where darkness turns to light. This is the plot twist of it all, guys. It's hard to believe. God's holiness is the contagious thing. God's holiness is more contagious than sin. God's holiness is more contagious than darkness. God's holiness is what rubs off on people when we go and we live as kingdom ambassadors and we love our enemies and we think of others first and we believe that God is going to do the things that he said he would do and that he would fulfill his word in us and he would sanctify us. And when we go out in the world knowing that that's who we're called to be, God's holiness in you rubs off and it is contagious and it will begin to heal your land, heal your work, heal your school, heal your neighborhood, heal your family, heal your marriage. I don't know what needs to be healed, but there's nothing that God's holiness can't do. For Isaiah, he needed his mouth to be touched because I think he had a big one. I don't know. But a prophet needs a big mouth, so God just worked it, you know, <laughs> worked it for his good. I don't know what part of your life or what part of your neighborhood or what part of this community needs to be touched by the healing holiness of God, but here's one thing I do know. If you are in the body of Christ and you are a part of the bride of Christ and you are in Christ, then God's healing holiness is in you, and so who you touch with God's healing holiness will experience the healing power of God. Amen. It's in you. It's not just Pastor Hank. I mean, it might be more in Pastor Hank. No? Okay. It's in you. It's in you. And this is the promise that we have. This is, I think, an empowering understanding of the holiness of God. It's right. God's holiness and sin cannot coexist. But what, that doesn't mean that God leaves. It means sin leaves. And when sin leaves, we're all for the better. And our world begin, begins to look more and more like new creation. So, as we close our time today, I'm going to invite you to do some imaginative prayer with me. So if you close your eyes, 
I would just like you to envision yourself as an, a carrier of the healing holiness of God. What does that look like? Does it look like light flowing out of you? Does it look like healing waters flowing? Does it look like things springing to life everywhere you go? I don't know. Imagine it. And imagine you as a carrier of God's healing holiness going back into wherever you go on Monday morning, work, school, home with your babies, wherever it might be, and that light or that healing water that's flowing from you is just is touching everything. What happens when, when that healing holiness touches your life? What, hap- what happens as you go to the grocery store, as you go to the park, as you go throughout your everyday life and you're living and you're working and you're playing and God's healing holiness is spilling out of you? What's changing? Are the deaf hearing? Are the blind regaining their sight? Are the lame leaping? Is sin fleeing? Is Satan defeated? Is the serpent's head crushed under your feet? Can you see it? Can you see that spreading from your home and your neighborhood and your community out into all of Harrisburg? You know, you know where darkness is having its way right now. You know where the healing of God needs to break in. Imagine that. What would it look like? What would it look like for Harrisburg BIC to be that temple in the center of the holy district of Harrisburg with God's holiness radiating out and healing everything that's in close proximity? Lord, as we imagine this, we know this is what you're already doing. Lord, this is your kingdom breaking in. You are King Jesus. Lord, we are in your reign. Lord, help us to be ambassadors. Help us to walk in our calling. And and God, I just pray right now you would speak to each of us individually, that you would tell us what our next step is. Only you know. You know where we're supposed to go. You know where we're supposed to stay. You know who we're supposed to touch and talk to You know who we're supposed to forgive and receive. You know those places that we don't drive by, but we should drive through. You know. So Lord, I just pray right now, every single person would have a clear idea of what it means to obey you today. And that we would be courageous enough to say yes, that we would, like Isaiah, say, here am I, send me. It's in your name we pray, amen. At this point, we invite the prayer team to come forward. Uh, the choir can come up and we invite any pastors in the room. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, um, 